I know that one of the small things that I can do now, and something we talked about at our recent town hall, is making time. We all get the same 24 hours in the day. I'm willing to carve out a block of my time to be present with anyone who actually needs me to be present right then. Yeah. Whether it's because I want to share something awesome that happened, whether it's because I'm struggling with something and I need some advice, whether it's because I think you screwed up, Alex, or I think Indy Hall is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Right? I need to be able to be there to hear that. Yeah. I don't want to spend five minutes with every member of Indy Hall in 2017. I want to spend the right five minutes. And that investment allows us to sustain. Correct. This is a collective effort. I think there's a reciprocity here. A community thrives when the people in it thrive. I think it's worth saying that out loud. Yeah. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and we are off to a hell of a start here in 2017. A lot of really exciting things going on between the last episode and this one. Exciting things here at Indy Hall this time of year. New faces, people coming back after being away for the holidays, people setting new goals. And uh, we did talk about that in last week's episode with my partner, Jeff DeMassey, about the power of bringing people together around those common goals and how people come together to get better at the thing that they're doing. And we've been seeing that in action over the last couple of weeks. Now, today's episode is sort of a complement to last week's where we're going to be talking about another theme where amongst all of this excitement, there's something that I think sometimes we forget to do. It's too easy to get caught up in action and reaction. And sometimes we just sort of forget what it is that we're here to do in the first place. So in today's episode, Adam and I are going to be talking about some of the things that we do to slow down at just the right moment, not stop, but slow down and make sure that we can hold the note and do the best job that we possibly can. The source of inspiration comes from an unlikely place, and uh, we'll be talking about that more in just a couple of minutes. But before we do, I want to talk about something that we can do to help you pause and reflect and get the best work done you possibly can in 2017 and going forward. I've noticed something interesting. Folks like you and me, people who love co-working, we talk about how great it is to get people together to share what they're working on, to learn from each other, to be able to collaborate, and to help each other solve problems. That's what our co-working spaces are for, right? Meanwhile, every day of the week, I hear from folks who listen to this show. I've probably heard from you. And what you're telling me is that you're doing so much of the work to figure out how your co-working space is supposed to work, how to solve the problems you run across every day, how to make this place that you're trying to make, this community that you care so much about, be as successful as humanly possible, but you're doing it all on your own. I'm not talking about your members. I'm going to assume that you've got some members in your co-working space. You don't have someone who has the perspective that you do as a professional community builder, someone whose job it is to make a co-working space a truly awesome place to be and the skills and know-how to make your community something that other people want to be a part of. So at the risk of getting a little bit meta, we're looking for our first 10 members for a brand new community that we're calling the Indie Hall Brain Trust. In a way, this is a way for us, me and Sam and Adam, who you've heard on this show over and over, to turn the megaphone around, put it in your hands, and give you an opportunity to say, hey, I could use a hand with this. Does anybody understand how this works? And then for us to be there for you, with you, with a community of professional community building peers, people who really get you to give you the answers you need. So head over to coworkingweekly.com slash brain trust. And learn a little bit more about how we see this coming together. And if it sounds like something that can help you achieve your goals in 2017, 
Whether that's to slow down or speed up, you'll be able to fill out an application and tell us a little bit more about you so we can start getting to know each other. I really hope you enjoy this episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. Thank you so much for listening. Your tweets, your emails, your reviews on iTunes mean so much to me. Uh, There's just great stuff going on in our community, and I'm most excited about the Brain Trust opportunity as a way to start connecting some of you with each other. I've got thousands of people that I hear from, but you don't get to connect with each other. That, for me, is what the Brain Trust is about. So we're going to start small. We're going to start simple. We're going to start together, and we're going to have a great time. So... Without further ado, let's get into today's show. When we were sitting down to record today's episode, Adam, you were trying to remember the details of an experience that you had with me here at Indie Hall a few years ago and a a different kind of experience than the ones that we normally talk about here on the show. It wasn't exactly one with our members or, you know, during a tour or solving a problem. What was it? (laughs) Okay. As well as I can remember it, I was at work, normal day. I think it was warm outside. And I was on the first floor because we had two floors in our old home. And you left the building and then a few hours came back and your arm was wrapped up like you had just gotten a brand new tattoo. And the reason for that is because you did just get a brand new tattoo. And I remember the feeling like it was it was almost as if you left you could have come back with a different face and because my feeling was did you just casually leave and then return a brand new piece of ink? And you have tattoos. Yeah, not this was not a first tattoo. No. So this was not like a major bodily transformation. I have visible tattoos. Yeah. That's, that's not a new thing. But it, I don't know why I had the expectation or the lack of expectation for that. But it still felt like something actually real just happened to you. And <laughs> you're back. And then you showed me the tattoo. And I learned a new word. We're going to get to the word in a second. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was both impulsive and not. And I think that's kind of a theme of what we want to talk about today. I had not had a new tattoo in about three years. The most recent previous tattoo I had is also, I would argue, my most infamous. Mm-hmm. It's that big block letter JFDI on my right forearm. Jedi misspelled. Yes, yeah, the best misspelled Jedi <laughs> tattoo that that tattoo artist had given me. And uh, for those who are unfamiliar with JFDI, it's a bit of a mantra here at Indie Halt. started as a very personal mantra that I then decided to put on my friggin' forearm. Uh, and then uh, it stands for just fucking do it. Mm-hmm. We can talk a little bit more about what those four words in that order mean and, and the backstory on that tattoo. That deserves its own its episode. Own episode. But that was the last tattoo that I had. I knew that I wanted a new one. Yeah. And for those of you listeners who have tattoos, you know that sort of addictive itch. It's been a while since you got one. You want another one. You don't know what it's going to be. And for me, all of my tattoos are some variation of language or symbol. And they also serve as some sort of reminder. That is sort of my style guide, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. 
And I knew that I wanted something to complement JFDI because I had seen JFDI, this just fucking do it mantra, sometimes misused, misinterpreted as a recklessness, yeah. as a constant state of motion. I think I was thinking a lot about the the hype of hustle. Oh, yeah, sure. And the sort of culture around hustle that has grown and exploded. In a way, it's become so pervasive in culture that it is almost an excuse for being reckless careless just to get the job done right jfdi was for me more of a reminder to do the thing that i already knew i was supposed to be doing it was more of a come on man you got this you know you already know what's right Mm -hmm. just go do that Mm -hmm. again i wanted to create another reminder for myself should i ever get sucked up into that trap of hustle that i had something else to temper it yeah way too many words to put into a tattoo yeah. <laughs> it's a whole book i think there literally are books about that and I, I i don't have enough my arms aren't long enough for that so i have been on the lookout for a way to say that yeah that like easy with the hustle man sure slow down sure a little bit and I am a longtime subscriber to Seth Godin's blog. Mm -hmm. Seth Godin is a prolific marketer, creative writer. He's got a bajillion books. And Seth has this knack for taking really big, hairy, complex ideas and writing three sentences about them that make your head explode and go, that's what I've been trying to say. Yes. I don't know how you said that so succinctly. He does it daily, too, which is the crazy thing. That day's blog post from Seth was titled Fermata. 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 And at the top of the blog post was this symbol. It looked almost like a little Egyptian eye. Yeah. And in it, he described this mark, the Fermata, that is from sheet music, that is part of the notation, right? So think about sheet music. It's a way of literally writing down sounds in a way that is later readable. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Like They had to come up with a way to write down sounds. Yeah, I can't think about that, actually, because it hurts my brain. Okay, so the fermata <laughs> is, a, is a unique symbol in the world of musical notation. Why is that? Because all of the other bits of notation are very, very, very specific. Hold this for two beats, for four beats, for eight beats. Play this specific note. Mm-hmm. Waver between these notes. Increase volume, decrease volume. These are all fairly specific instructions. Sure. And there are even instructions on when to not play, to hold a note, to mm-hmm. pause. The fermata is, I think it's the only one. If it's not the only one, it's one of very few notes in all of musical notation that says, as long as you feel is appropriate. It actually puts some creative control in the hands of the person playing the instrument. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about like an orchestra, right? Both the musicians are going to play that, but in many cases, the conductor will be the one who dictates how long to hold that note for or how long to sustain. The musicians are paying attention to the conductor, so it's not like the conductor is just deciding this without any uh, uh, reciprocity. Like, everyone pays attention to what the conductor says, the right. leader of the, the group. Right, and that conductor may be, you know, feeling the, the room, the audience. There's a, a, you know, music builds tension, music tells a story. And the, the art of the conductor is to make that as impactful as possible. So yeah. the fermata tells the conductor, have the orchestra hold that note, not a specific count, but until you believe the time is right. Now, if you're an individual musician, it's the same sort of thing. You're playing a single note. Hold that either as long as you can, as long as you think is right. But again, it puts some creative control. This is the sheet music, which is so rigid and instructive. 
it, it's almost like it gives you permission to hold that note as long as you think is right. And I was like, wow, that's that's super interesting. Yeah. And it felt like the compliment to JFDI that I've been looking for because there's two parts to it, right? One is to hold a note in, in musical parlance is to sustain a note. Think about like the sustain pedal on a piano, right? You hold, mm-hmm. press the, hold down that pedal while you play the notes and the notes, they reverberate longer, yeah. right? Yeah. That sort of thing. Sustain is a, one of those beautiful words that's got multifaceted meaning. You can tie it to sustainability, which happens to be a core value of co-working. You, know, you go to coworking.org, you see the co-working core values, community accessibility, sustainability, openness, and collaboration. Sustainability is a marquee one. It's a marquee of Indie Hall's existence as well. And also, you know, there's that, that notion of like, if you're doing something, do it so that you can keep doing it. Mm. And that felt like the other side of the JFDI coin that I'd been looking for. That thing you've been waiting to do, just go do it. But also do it in a way that you can keep doing it. Hmm. Like be mindful of your own constraints, your own resources. Just fucking do it. But make sure you can hold that note. Mm -hmm. P.S. It's up to you how long you want to hold that note. That's what I think is interesting about Fermata. I think Fermata is interesting through and through. But that might be the thing that I find myself getting stuck on in a good way is hold on to this for as long as you think you need to. In in some weird way, for some reason, my brain translates that as some kind of like self-care, like s- slow down for as much as you need. Because when you first explained Fermata to me, I thought, oh, GFDI means go and Fermata means stop. But I don't think it's as simple as that. No, because I think it's up to you, the musician of your life, if we're going to play that metaphor, to make that decision. I think there's something very interesting about something so rigid and structured as, as sheet music, you know, where you're supposed to literally play the note, right? And we're talking about sheet music. Now, there's a whole universe of music that is not recorded music. Mm-hmm. I think about, like, jazz, right? So jazz doesn't have a fermata because jazz isn't written down it's played off of each other and i think when you're playing with other people you have a bit more context to guess correctly when and where to hold a note when and where to pause let somebody else step up but when it's just you and remember that i think the biggest context for why co-working exists and thrives is because it allows people to be independent together yeah i think there's something powerful about the reminder to hold that note yeah to hold that note when you when you got the tattoo, this it was a few years ago. Yep, um, twenty thirteen. Was there anything that was happening at Indie Hall or in your life that you thought like, Fermata applies to this thing? Um, all of this momentum that I have, all of this stuff that I'm working on, I need to remind myself. Like you said, your tattoos are reminders. I need to remind myself. I, well, one of the things that was interesting about twenty thirteen is we were really doubling down on things like this on like the podcast oh yeah education of our peers sharing what we know and learning what other people are up to i think that was in many ways it was like one of our early apexes of doing work with other people building communities around the world again we'll go back to the the musical analogies maybe this is a crescendo mm-hmm. worth building up to mm-hmm. so i remember getting that that blog post in my inbox from seth i remember sharing it in a chat room with yourself and Tony Bacigalupo, who yeah. we were teaching a community building masterclass with at the time. 
And I was like, guys, I think I figured out my next tattoo. I remember both of you responded with three exclamation points, and that was it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, I remember when we would talk more often but with Tony, the three of us uh, would talk, and we'd talk about, like, a lot of highfalutin uh, co-working concepts and things that we could do to return the co-working industry to its old glory. And when you had said that, I guess part of me just thought, like, haha, oh, yeah, it would be neat, wouldn't it? So I just didn't expect for you to JFDI on your fermata. And I think that was it. I made the decision in my head, this is what the next tattoo will be. The symbol says what I want to say. I put it on the inside of my right forearm. So the outside of my right forearm is the JFDI tattoo. The inside is the fermata. So I actually see the fermata a bit more often. Hmm. I walked out the door of any hall and I went for a walk around the block. And I made the decision that when I got to the corner of 2nd and Market Street, which is just a block away, mm-hmm. I was going to have an opportunity to make a decision where I could keep walking down 2nd Street to Old City Tattoo and get this tattoo. Or I'd go back to Indy Hall and sleep on it for the night. Sure. And when I got to the intersection of 2nd and Market Street, I said, we're going to go do this. Sure. And so I walked down to Old City Tattoo. I walked in, said, can you put this here? And he said, sure. I said, now? He goes, sounds great. Like you said, two hours later, I was out of the chair on my way back to Indy (laughs) Hall, bandaged up. And I said, hey, look what I got. Yeah. Yeah. The last moment seemed very impulsive, Mm -hmm. but there was a long, slow buildup to it. Three years of figuring out something that I wanted to say, something I wanted to remind myself of, something that was worth reminding myself of. For me, I'm looking for things that I I, I imagine will be timeless, useful reminders. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine not having JFDI be a a symbol of my life. I can't imagine the begin love and end hate HTML tags on my wrists not being a part of my life. And the binary on my left arm translates to veritas which is latin for truth and although there's two dead languages at play i can't imagine a reminder to be truthful and be true to myself and the people around me not being a useful reminder and so this notion of sustain hold that note i i I hadn't really even thought about it until this conversation i hold the note really does have a duality of silence and self-care as well as being able to, once you're in action, make sure that action is continuable. Because I think there's a lot, a lot of cases where it'd be easy to not be. As some transparency, part of the reason why I wanted you to talk about this is, is thinking about around now, around this season, it's December as we record right now. I feel like there's a lot of hustle and bustle. I feel like there's a lot of hurry all over the place. Just in season and holiday celebration in and of itself. Traveling places, things you have to do, the obligations you have to yourself, your family, your friends. And it's hard for me to remind myself to stop or keep going. And as, like I said, full transparency, as we're thinking about the shows that we can have, I was thinking, I need to have someone talk to me about how to slow the fuck down. And Fermata has stuck out to me since the day that you got that tattoo. We actually had a listener question. Uh, And so David Fran replied to this tweet, my three parts to being a better community manager. One, slow the fuck down, what you were just saying, Adam. Two, Listen more. Something we've talked a fair bit about on this show and I see us talking a whole lot more about in 2017. In fact, I'd like to make that like an overarching theme of listening, how we listen and what we do with it when we listen. And then the third, 
piece of the being a good community manager framework is doing things with people instead of for people. David said, I've heard lots about what you've said on the second two points, but that first one, slow the fuck down. I haven't heard you talk a lot about it. And I think there's a, a, a reality that not a lot of people in this industry are talking about, and that is how reactive people are when you're in the operational seat. Some number of group of people come to a place to be in a place to be together. And when they want something, when they need something, when something needs to happen, this all goes through me. Too many people approach their role at a co-working space like a cruise director, where everywhere is where you need to be. And when you need to be everywhere, you know, when everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. Yeah. When everything needs attention, how do you know where to put your attention? When any day couldn't possibly be planned because you have no idea who's going to need you when and how and where, you approach every single interaction in a different way because every interaction is based on a reaction. Yeah. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's... Uh, apart from the fact that it's unsustainable, let's let's be honest, get outside of co-working spaces for a second. How much of our days are us reacting to things around us? Yeah. You turn on the news, something bad happened, now I'm sad. I see someone that I haven't seen in a while, now I'm happy. The fact that we let so much of our environment dictate the way we're going to feel, what we're going to do, where our energy levels are, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of folks out there who listen to this show who if you had a better sense of how your day was going to go, you could be proactive instead of reactive. And in those moments where somebody actually needed you, you actually need to be present to help somebody with something because it was actually a priority, you could give them what they needed instead of everything being, let me get you off my plate so I can go on to the next thing that's crying for my attention. So in that way, it seems like slow the fuck down doesn't always have to do with stop what you're doing. And take note of everything that's happening around you. Sometimes it has more to do with proactivity and being prepared for things that are coming to you as opposed to always relying on response. Like slow the fuck down doesn't have to stop you dead in your tracks and end momentum. It seems like it means being more present. I think it means being present. I also think it means recognizing that not everything needs to be done this very second. Like, mm. I don't know, there's there's a sense of urgency. Here's the difference. Mm. Here's the difference, Adam. Being aware of everyone's need and reacting to everyone's need. Yeah. Pulling those two things apart. It's hard. Yeah. It sounds real easy when it comes off my tongue like that. It's hard. Maybe one of the hardest parts of this job mm -hmm. to say, I know that something is going on over there and paying attention to the fact that it needs your attention and separating that from your reaction, the desire to do something about it can make the difference of really doing the right thing versus the wrong thing. So I'm doing a little bit, a little bit of mental math and I'm thinking in my brain, slow the fuck down, I equate to fermata. And fermata is sustain. And sustain means prioritize the things that need to be done so you can keep doing the things that need to be done, which means not always relying on responding to everything that's happening around you, which means investing in awareness of needs as opposed to reacting to needs. A plus. Hey, it only took, what's our runtime on this? 24 minutes. That That's not bad. <laughs>
Way too long for a tattoo, though. Yeah, that is a little <laughs> too long for a tattoo. But that I, I think that's helpful to go all the way back to the beginning to, again, just pile on praise for Seth Godin and then to to put a little praise onto what Fermata does and the power of it, even outside of sheet music, is that symbol represents that entire sequence for me. And that's a nuanced sequence. The truth is, is I don't think I ever would have understood what the symbol means if I didn't know what it felt like to burn out, if I didn't know what it felt like to feel like I never stopped or never really considered what I was doing at the time. And to take that even further, the real truth is, I think every day I continued to learn what Fermata means. If we take Fermata as a concept like we're talking about, that entire chain of events, I would think of this as a practice. And you gain the skill by doing the practice. I watch other people deploy this practice consciously or not. Yeah. Or I watch them not deploy it and sort of flit from one thing to the next, like, you know, like a honeybee hoping to get a little bit more pollen out of the next, a little bit more pollen out of the next. I think there's a duality of people who are good at jobs like this in that they are inherently empathic right mm-hmm. you have the ability to be with people understand where they're coming from there's lots of talk in the sort of global zeitgeist right now about how empathy and leadership and listening are all so deeply intertwined and also massively lacking in things like management and just general public discourse the flip side of that though is people who tend to be extraordinarily empathetic to a degree f- feel other people's feelings mm-hmm. You're not just feeling your own feelings, but taking the time to sit with somebody else who is struggling with something. Someone who is in a moment where they need help. Mm -hmm. They come to you. You recognize their need for help as pain. And you start feeling their need for help as pain. And there's something very interesting and sort of subtle that I think starts to happen where because you're able to feel someone else's pain and it causes you pain, you want to make that problem go away right now. Hence reacting to an issue. And this is super, super subtle. But when I start noticing that I want to help somebody because their pain is causing me pain, I'm not actually listening to them anymore. I'm just looking for the quickest way to get them out of the rut that they're in, back on track. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, and I would argue in many cases what they actually need is someone to sit there with them and go a little bit deeper and maybe even go into a more painful part. Like, how many problems do we address in the surface level just because we want the problem to go away and then the problem comes right back? Yeah. Not only does that continue to take up our time, but it also burns us out even further because we keep doing the thing that we think that person needs, but they're back exactly where they started at the beginning. Yeah, and this was a hard lesson that I've learned over the years. And something that I've learned is, People will never stop you when you say, I want to be present with you. I can't be present now, but it's important that I'm present. So we should do this thing later because I really want to be present with you and I owe you that. And that feels good. Whereas I used to think, oh God, you feel pain. I feel pain. I want this pain to go away right now. And and I wasn't fully there because there were so many other things to be busy with. Very few people in my life, maybe no one has ever had a problem with me saying, I owe you my presence and that's important to me. I can't give it to you right now, but I'm going to give it to you soon, later, in an hour, at five, something like that. That helps a lot. Yeah. I think about another uh, a friend of mine by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary always talks about going deep instead of going wide, mm. where a lot of marketers want to cast the widest net possible. Gary said, I might cast as wide of a net, but I'm going to go one layer deeper. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not about how many followers I have. It's about how many followers who care. Mm-hmm. For him, I think the, the crossover here is it's all about giving tiny bits of genuine attention to people going one layer deeper than the people who are used to just being close enough that they're able to hear you shout. Yeah. So if we bring this back into community builder territory, what if instead of going wide trying to give everybody everything all the time, like you said, being willing to say, look, I actually want to be able to pay attention. I think this is actually one of the biggest things for me and for Indy Hall to be working on in 2017. And I will also be the first to say I'm super guilty of it right now. Our 2016 put me in a place to be super, 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 super reactive. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. I hate the way it makes me feel. I hate the way it makes other people feel. I hate the way it makes Indy Hall feel. It's not who we are. It's not what we're good at. And the crazy thing is, is there's a bit of scar tissue from being that way for a while. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, one year out of 10, it, there, we've got some stuff we got to work through now. Mm-hmm. I know that one of the small things that I can do now and something we talked about at our recent town hall is making time. We all get the same 24 hours in the day. I'm willing to carve out a block of my time to be present with anyone who actually needs me to be present right then. Yeah. Whether it's because I want to share something awesome that happened, whether it's because I'm struggling with something and I need some advice, whether it's because I think you screwed up, Alex, or I think Indy Hall is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I need to be able to be there to hear that. Yeah. I don't want to spend five minutes with every member of Indy Hall in 2017. I want to spend the right five minutes. And that investment allows us to sustain. Correct. This is a collective effort. I think there's a reciprocity here. A community thrives when the people in it thrive. I think it's worth saying that out loud. Yeah. Right? So this is about making sure that individuals in the ecosystem thrive. When that happens, the ecosystem thrives. So making sure that individuals in this ecosystem have what they need in order to hold that note. And maybe all they need is a little pep talk. Maybe all they need is to vent. But they're able to hold that note a little bit longer. And the flip side of that is... The more in touch I am, the more in touch we are as a team with our members, and the more in touch our members are with each other. Because that's the, you know, again, everything we do, we lead by example. By making more time for other people myself, my hope is that a secondary effect is that other people in this community, peers of each other, will make a little more time for each other. Because I think that's the one thing that, that we have historically been very good at. And I won't say we're bad at it now, but we're not firing on all eight cylinders. Yeah. Because... We got busy. Yeah. We got busy. Busy. Busy is surface level. Busy is bullshit. Yeah. We're all busy. Every single person in this room, I assume, is busy. No one is more busy than the other person. If we're building things on top of the assumption that other people are busy or worse, that they're too busy for each other, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. The year that we've had at Indy Hall, the year that I think a lot of people have had just in their lives in general, uh, the the season itself right now, all of these things led me to wanting to have a conversation about slowing down, catching up, maintaining speed. It also makes me think of something that we talked about the same year that you got the tattoo. But back in 2013, when we were still running Coworking Weekly as a newsletter, there was a story that we ran in there. It was a TED Talk. And the TED Talk was in Coworking Weekly number 52 in March 2013, and it was called Lead Like the Great Conductors. And it was a talk from a man who is a conductor about how conductors in orchestras lead their musician. What was cool about that talk was he showed a mix of, I believe it was six great conductors from different parts of the world, uh, and each one had different a different style. Yeah. 
and he li- literally showed the audience videos of these conductors in front of their their musicians, their orchestras, leading the group in, in creating music together. And as he opened, I believe, describing it, making order out of chaos. I mean, because all of those instruments being played at different times, different ways, the fact that it sounds beautiful is kind of a miracle. And the fact that that is taking place without a single word between the conductor and all of the musicians. There's an unspoken language, there's an energy, there are feelings exchanged. One conductor has very almost overstated gestures. He literally looks like he's driving the bus. Yes. Right? And <laughs> and like he may as well be playing all of the instruments himself. Yeah. You almost see the the musicians playing out of fear. I don't I almost I don't want to say this guy looked scary, but he kind of looked scary. Yeah, there's I think there's some kind of intimidation. Like the, his boisterous movements are loud they're big they're also really commanding commanding is the word and i wish i could remember his name i didn't jot down the note but i remember that conductor in particular as one who stood out to me as that if there was an opposite to my style it's that (laughs) this guy right there's no there was no subtlety to it yeah he was taking a subtle communication style of body language and gesture Mm -hmm. And almost caricaturizing it. If you could imagine what a Disney cartoon conductor looks like, that's what this guy looks like. Down to like the greasy hair parted down the middle um, that was like flapping in his face. Like all of that. Yeah. And I think for me, that conductor created sort of a an anchor. Mm-hmm. And as, as the speaker, Ite, went through each of these conductors, they were increasingly subtle. There was more gentle gestures more soft waving. There was a great example of uh, one of the conductors communicating with a specific musician who kept screwing up. And you could read the, the language in just his facial gestures of like, you got it wrong. You got it wrong again. See me after class. Yeah. Like just sort of this escalation that, again, if I hadn't been told to look for it, I wouldn't have seen it. All the way through to the last conductor who literally had his arms crossed and not like a closed off cross, but in a very comfortable cross. Mm -hmm. I'm not exaggerating. You have to go watch this video. We'll link to it in the show notes. This guy led an orchestra with his smile. Yeah. And it was the most beautiful, subtle thing to be paying attention to how somebody sat with a room of performers and how he communicated to them with a single facial gesture and all of the little variations of it, but how much you can see if you're paying attention to it. You know, for me, I, I think that the takeaways from this TED Talk that were intended in this, the speaker has an entire practice around teaching leadership in corporations and organizations and things like that. So I, I'm not inferring that that was his point. That was his point was we as leaders can learn things from these conductors. Of course. The takeaway for me was, as I was rewatching this before we sat down to record, is I wonder what the differences are in the makeup of the orchestra over time for each of these conductors. Hmm. Uh, for instance, when he, we were talking about that more commanding conductor versus another conductor who uh, the quote that I, I wrote down from that was, let me see if I can find it real quick. The worst damage I can do to my orchestra is give them a clear instruction because that would prevent the ensemble, the listening to each other. And that's needed for an orchestra. Hmm. Uh, He said, I'm opening a space for you to put in your interpretation. When it's needed, the authority is there, but authority alone is not enough to make someone your partners. Basically, 
there is a command and conquer approach to leading an orchestra, and there is this clearly inherently more subtle collaborative approach to leading an orchestra. Both can work, but I'm very curious about what the after effects are. Do the players who play for the more commanding conductor leave more often? Yeah. Are there certain kinds of talent that are drawn to that? And are there pros and cons of that? I can imagine there are people who want the clear, deliberate instruction. There are people who want to have some creative interpretation. The person who wants the fermata. And I think there's room for both. But I, I got to bring it back to that. This is another layer of sustain. What is the difference of the of the orchestra that plays for the command and conquer conductor versus the one who the conductor leaves them a little bit of room to look to each other? How does that affect their tenure as players together, their bond as a group? I have to imagine that there are much more resilient bonds in an orchestra where the conductor says, I'm not going to tell you what to do all the time. You've got to look to each other. That is a very, very, very powerful statement in a way that is so much more powerful than someone who commands from a place of power. I think that's super interesting. I think so, too. I think one of the things I love very much about this video is over the years, I've had a lot of interpretation of, of what the lesson is, what the purpose is. But what it's always done is it's kept me aware. It's, it's heightened my awareness for a certain variety. And I mean variety, different styles of leadership and also just the, the, the attentiveness of someone who is leading a group and how he or she pays attention to them and they pay attention to him. And it's a relationship. And it's a relationship that you must be present for or something's going to go awry. The last quote that I wrote down from when I was rewatching the video is that control is not a zero-sum game. Mm. And again, I think about the spectrum of these six conductors leading their orchestras in different ways. And each of them is able to create a piece of music. If creating a piece of music is the end result of an equation... We can be done here and say they all work. But I don't think creating a piece of music is the end of the equation. I think the ability to create something that is so deeply resonant that people want to be a part of it, that the best people want to be a part of it, I think maybe that's part of it. The quality of the people that you can attract, what they're going to give of themselves to it is going to change when you give them room to give something else to it other than playing the notes on the paper, other than playing to your flick of a wrist with, with a, a baton in it. I think that notion that when, when we lead whoever we're leading, whether it's leading one person out of a place of anxiety or struggle or pain or leading a group of people towards something that they more or less agree that they want to achieve, believing that you're in control is the only way to fail. That's the only way to fail. I think that's an interesting interpretation that I've never actually thought of. The mutual give and take. Having to have a respect to the mutual give and take. As opposed to saying, I'm the conductor, a.k.a. the director, a.k.a. I drive the bus, and without me, you're nothing. It's not like that. It's, it's more of a symbiosis, and it the, everyone thrives on one another. And like you said earlier in the show, the community thrives when the people in the community thrive. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect... <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I didn't expect to have so many things to think about in terms of music. Like w when I look at music and musicality and musicians and sheet music and, and the vocabulary that musicians use, 
I would immediately think the language they speak is not the language I speak. The language that a violinist or a conductor speaks has no bearing on the way that I facilitate a community of independent people. And I would be wrong. Just like back in the, uh, episode 48, talking about improv. Improv is a practicable skill. Playing music is a practicable skill. Certainly. Being a conductor. I think we need to be looking for more things that people consider creative and therefore assume that other people that are good at them were instantly good at them. What other creative professionals are there in the world that you admire and say, man, I wish I could be like that? Let yeah. us know. Yeah. Let us know because I, th I bet if we were to reach out to somebody who does that and do a little digging in, we'd learn how they learned to be that great at it. And we could probably draw some lessons from it that could be applied to building stronger communities, helping groups of people thrive together, create things together, crossover patterns, learnable lessons. Yeah. And things that we can use. And in the same spirit that drove our People at Work Summit, I think the spirit that drove that was the, the notion of stepping outside of what we think we know, outside of our industry, that silo, and allowing other disciplines to sit us down and teach us something. I would love to know what other disciplines, where are they, who are they, what do they do, what can I learn? Because they, this TED Talk and your tattoo are things that I never would have thought were influences on the way that I think about my work in a co-working space. There are so many more. Well, let's go get them. Yeah, let's go get them. Wait, do you Fermata first or JFDI? Do you pizza and then French fry? <laughs> Can you pizza and then French fry? We got a JFDI this one. <laughs> okay. We got a JFDI this one. This is, this is new. This is clearly something that needs to happen. So yeah. we know it needs to happen. Let's just fucking do it. Yeah, I'm game. And I, I think a part of that is uh, people who are listening to the show now is reaching out to us. If something strikes a chord in this episode and you think, you know what that makes me think of? Tell us what that makes you think of, uh, whether that's in a tweet or an email or skywriting or smoke signals. Like, however, but the first two are more likely to get to us. <laughs> yeah, the first two are more likely, but, you know, we're not yucking any yums. Like, whatever language you speak, I, I, think it would be, I think it would be really cool to do episodes in the future based on some of that feedback. Absolutely. So uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Alex Hillman. You can email me, alex at indiehalls.org. You can find all that information in the show notes all the time as well. If there's someone that you know that you want to introduce us to, I think it'd be good to have those introductions as well. That sounds great. Cool. All right. Well, until then, have a great week and we'll see you next time. What's the music term for stop? What's the music term for stop this podcast? Silence. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sam. Hey, I'm Adam. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can do us a little favor. Go to iTunes, review, and share Coworking Weekly. Coworkingweekly.com slash iTunes. You could say, listening to this podcast is both fun and educational, just like kids' toys. <laughs> <laughs> you might say, this is the only Coworking podcast that I listen to. I would say that. This podcast is as good as chocolate pudding. This podcast is better than black licorice. You might not say that, but you might say that. You might say this co-working podcast is the co-working weekly podcast. It's tautological. It's perfect. <laughs> However this podcast makes you feel, just say it. The more people are a part of co-working weekly, the better co-working weekly becomes. This podcast is so much better 
than the hot dog I had for lunch. 